0: invite you to open your Bible with me tonight to the book of Judges, chapter 16. Judges, chapter 16. As we are finishing a, a series we started before Christmas uh, in Sunday evenings, and now we're, we're coming to, to the end of that. So Elena, thank you for that offertory, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That's exactly what uh, the, message, the text is about tonight, the faithfulness of God. If you remember... Um, Israel was not looking for a redeemer. All through the book of Judges, you see this reoccurring pattern of um, Israel falling into sin, God sending um, the Philistines usually, but, uh, but uh, enemies to oppress them, and they're miserable, and then they cry out to the Lord, and he sends a judge. And that's a repeating pattern throughout the book. Except at, at uh, the life of Samson, uh, there's no crying out to the Lord. They're not looking for a judge. They're not looking for a deliverer. They've made peace With their bondage, and yet God is faithful to raise up for them a man by the name of Samson, who uh, God remember came to this barren woman and said, "Um, "You're going to have a son, and uh, he's going to begin to save Israel from her enemies." And tonight we're going to see that God is faithful to that word. Samson's, uh, the death of Samson is where where we are tonight. Judges chapter sixteen. Let's begin reading at verse twenty-three. Now the Lord's, let me just quickly get, for those of you who don't know, Samson has been captured, he's, his eyes have been gouged out, uh, Delilah of course betrayed him, he's uh, been bound up and, and uh, put in a, a prison, a Philistine prison, where he's been grinding grain, he's been like an animal, a beast. Uh, but verse 22, if you remember the last time, uh, the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved, there's this, this, this hint that God isn't done with Samson yet. And here we are in verse 23. Now the lords of the Philistines gathered to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their god, and to rejoice. And they said, our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. And when the people saw him, that is Dagon, they praised their god, for they said, our god has given our enemy into our, uh, into our hand, the ravager of our country, who has killed many of us. And when their hearts were merry, they said, call Samson, that he may entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he entertained them. They made him stand between the pillars. And Samson said to the young man who led him by the hand, Let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I may lean against them. Now the house was full of men and women. All the lords of the Philistines were there. And on the roof there were about 3,000 men and women who looked on while Samson entertained. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord God, Please remember me, and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested, and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one, and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength, and the house fell upon the lords and upon all the people who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he had killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zorah and Eshtol in the tomb of Manoah, his father. He had judged Israel 20 years. Let's pray together. Father, the Spirit who inspired the author to write these words, is it present with us, and we ask Holy Spirit now you'd give us the blessing of illumination where we can understand these words, and see oh God your faithfulness to us today, and trust in you, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. One of the things I love about the Bible is how it teaches its truths in the context of of lived life experience. <coughs> Excuse me. It teaches its doctrines in the context of the stories of real men and real women. It doesn't teach about the steadfast love of God um, or the faithfulness of God like a dictionary would or even a systematic theology might. Uh, it doesn't give us sterile definitions. But God teaches uh, us about Himself in the context of people, the lives of people who look like us and and suffer like us and sin like us, and yet by the grace and power of God are delivered like us. And so their story is just so rich, and tonight we have just a story like that, a story of a man uh, who is like us, a man who's flawed, fundamentally flawed, a Samson-like samson like we so often do, was a man who lived by what he could see. And this, in his case, is what he could see in regards to Philistine women. But the defining reality of Samson's life was not his weakness, but God's divine calling on him. That's such a wonderful truth. Way back in chapter 13, at the beginning of Samson's story, we're told about the angel of the Lord coming to um, Manoah's wife, this barren woman, and saying she's going to have a son. And and through this man, God was going to begin to save Israel from her enemies. Samson was going to be God's instrument to that end, to begin the salvation and the deliverance of Israel. And throughout all of Samson's life, through all his his foolishness, his, his flaws and his failures, God was at work fulfilling His Word. God wasn't thwarted. God wasn't threatened. God was beginning the deliverance of Israel even though Israel was just as lost and just as flawed and just as foolish as Samson himself. Remember, Samson was a mirror image of Israel. If if, if Israel would look at Samson, they would see a reflection of themselves. His addiction to foreign women just mirrored their addiction to, to foreign gods. Where he was... Um, physically adulterous, they were spiritually adulterous. And they went whoring after the gods of the nations around them. Just as Samson seems to have resisted his calling, found it to be a burden, Israel resisted her calling to be a servant to the Lord, to worship the Lord. They found it to be a burden. They wanted to be like the other nations, just like Samson so often wanted just to get along with the Philistines. But it is precisely In Samson's weakness and Israel's recalcitrance that God displays the wonder of his faithfulness, his covenant love and faithfulness. Our story tonight begins with Samson, the mighty Samson, the judge of Israel, blinded and bound in a Philistine prison. His captivity is directly due to his own stupidity and sin with with, um, Delilah, where he just seemed to um, just finally put off his calling. And, and now he's suffering the results of that, and yet God is at work even there. Just two main points tonight, first Samson's, Samson's humiliation and then his exaltation. So in verse 23, we're told that the Philistines have gathered together to offer us a, a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God. It, um, it seems to have been the social event of the year. There's a, obviously a very large house, maybe the Temple of Dagon itself. Uh, all the lords of the Philistines are there. There are uh, on the rooftop, the balcony overlooking the courtyard, 3,000 men and women. So this is, a, this is a very large crowd that's gathered together. It's, um, it's a big deal. Everybody that matters in the Philistine world is, is there. And the writer wants us to notice the intensely pagan nature of it. This is a worship festival, uh, festival in honor of Dagon, the pagan god. Uh, they've come, notice it, we're told twice in verse 23, uh, to celebrate and give thanks to Dagon. Our god has given Samson, our enemy, into our hand. This is a pagan worship service. This is um, where God created all men and women in His image to worship Him and give glory to Him. Now men and women made in His image are giving glory to a God they have made with their own hands, and they bring Him out, right? He's a, he's a, he's a, he's a God of stone. They, they bring Him out. Remember, this is the same Dagon who later on is going to fall over in, in, in before the Ark of the Covenant. But they bring Him out, and the people rejoice with a great cry, Our God has given our enemy into our hand. You see, this isn't just a contest between Samson and the Philistines. This is a contest between the gods. The Philistines understand it that way. Uh, um, In their battle with Samson, they've been at battle with with Samson's God, and and Dagon, their God, has conquered. This is not just a war with, with flesh and blood, but against the spiritual forces of evil. In the heavenly realms. Well, after they're made merry, probably meaning after they had enough to drink, that everyone's a feeling uh, in good, high spirits they, uh, they said, "Let's bring out Samson that he might entertain us." And so they brought him out uh, to mock him. To deride him. We don't know exactly what form that would take. It's possible that Samson being blind, they would lead him around and place things in his path that he might stumble and fall over them. Uh, they may be asked him to perform uh, feats of, of great strength, which he obviously could no longer do. Um, but whatever it was, um, the, the whole point of the event is to jeer at Samson, to mock him, to laugh at him, to, to roar with derision. This is Samson in his deepest humiliation. All these thousands of people gathered around, and and they're all laughing at him. They're all mocking him. They're jeering at him. This is the judge of Israel. Uh, They are are mocking Israel in this and mocking Israel's God. And and I, I don't think it's a stretch at all to see the humiliation of Jesus himself foreshadowed here. This is nearly identical to what the soldiers did to Jesus. Remember, they would, they would hit him, they blindfold him and, and hit him, and then they would, they would laugh and say, prophesy, who hit you? They're just mocking him. They, they spit on him. They, they put a purple cloak around him and a crown of thorns on his head, and, and then they would bow and say, hail, king of the Jews. And everybody would roar with laughter. It was exactly the same sort of mockery, the same sort of derision and humiliation. But you find throughout the Bible that the devil has a bad habit of rejoicing just before he suffers a crushing defeat. You see that all through Scripture. You see it when Pharaoh's army is rejoicing that they finally have trapped the Israelites up against the Red Sea. And even when a path opens up for Israel, they plunge on confident, absolutely confident that they have finally gained the victory. And then they're buried under the waters. Uh, You see it in the book of Esther, Adrian's preaching through that, Uh, Haman throwing a party to celebrate his victory over Mordecai and the Jews, and uh, only to be hanged on the very gallows that he had prepared to hang Mordecai on. In Isaiah chapter 36, you read about the Assyrian army that has surrounded Jerusalem and they, they've, they've laid siege against Jerusalem. And, and the leaders from the army will taunt the people of Israel, saying, don't, don't trust, don't listen to your king when he tells you that your God is going to deliver you. What other God has delivered their nation? We've been right through all the nations, we've conquered them. No other God has been able to deliver them. Your God will not be able to deliver you. And they were mocking the God of Israel. And then that night an angel of the Lord came and struck 185,000 of them dead. Party over. And that's so often what we see, and that's what we have here as well. You see, as all these people uh, gathered together to mock Samson and his God, God is at work. God has, in fact, gathered all the lords and the leading uh, people of Philistia together. Uh, They thought they were coming together voluntarily to celebrate the victory of their God, but in fact, God had gathered them to have them stand before His judgment throne. That's why they were there. God has gathered them to destroy them. God has gathered them to turn their mocking and their jeering into cries of despair as God brings them to their just death through the hands of His suffering servant, Samson, so we have Samson's humiliation and then his triumph. Samson's triumph happens in the context of his greatest weakness. He says in verse 26 to the young man who held him by the hand, let me feel the pillars on which the house rests, that I might lean against them. Here's this mighty man who had once carried the gates of Gaza 40 miles away and up a hill, and, uh, and now he's, he's asking that he might lean against the pillars. Uh, Samson is the very picture of defeat and weakness. His eyes have been gouged out. His feet are in chains. He's completely surrounded by thousands of taunting, laughing enemies. This is the man that, that God had raised up to begin the deliverance of Israel. Right. This is the judge of Israel. The whole thing was a pathetic mess. Just look at him. He's a, he's a laughing stock. He saved others, but he himself cannot save. And in the midst of all that mockery and all that weakness, something remarkable happens. Samson prays. It's remarkable because it's the only second, it's only the second recorded prayer we have of Samson. But it's notable because it's the prayers happened at the bookends of his of his judgeship. And so the first time we we read of Samson praying was in chapter 15 when he had uh, killed a thousand Philistines with a jawbone and then was dying of thirst and he had cried out to the Lord and the Lord had answered him and opened up a a spring for him. And that was the beginning of his judgeship and now 20 years later we find Samson praying again at the end of his reign. The writer you see is telling us by this that Samson is in fact in spite of all of his flaws in, in all of his... Um, all of his failures, Samson is a man of God. Samson is a man of faith. He knows his God. He is in relationship with his God. Remember, Samson is in the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. That's what the writer wants us to know. That this is a man who belongs to God. And his prayer reflects that he belongs to God. Where he, he, he prays, Oh Lord God, Please remember me. Those words remember me throughout Scripture are evidence of of true faith in the the grace and and faithfulness and favor of God. To to ask God to remember you is a way of laying hold of God. It's a way of laying hold of the promises that God has made. Laying hold of the character of God as a, a God who's compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. You see a prayer like this in Psalm 25, verse 6. Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from of old. Psalm 106, verse 4. Remember me, O Lord, when you show favor to your people. That's laying hold of of God as a covenant God. The thief on the cross, of course, said the same thing, didn't he, in Luke chapter 23? Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It's a prayer of faith. And Samson, as he as he prays, Lord God, remember me. He's just laying hold of of God's gracious character, God's faithfulness. He Samson has the the audacity to believe that God has not abandoned him, that God will be faithful yet to him, and to his calling. God remember, it's called Samson before he was born, and and God enabled him to do his his work throughout his life. And though he had sinned greatly, and Yet he dared to believe that God was willing to be kind and and gracious and forgiving. And that God would still fulfill his purposes for him. And so there Samson then in all of his weakness and all of his sin and with all of his faith gives himself into his father's hands and says, oh God, remember me. And God did. God did. Didn't have to. He could have left Samson there pushing against those pillars to no avail only to be brought back to the prison and to die abandoned. But God is not that kind of God. God did remember Samson. God did remember his faithfulness and his steadfast love. And God did remember his purposes for his servant. And so Samson grasped those two pillars and he bowed and pushed with all of his strength and said, let me die with the Philistines. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the people who were in it so that the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Samson's greatest victory, his greatest triumph, came in the moment of his greatest weakness, his own death. And it was a devastating blow. Webb points out in his commentary that this really is the the high watermark of the Philistine rule, and from here it's downhill. All the leading men and women are gone. All your rulers and captains, princes, they're all all dead, dead. Philistia would never be the same after this. They, it, this would begin a, a time of decline until uh, God raised up a, a King David. And King David would finish what, the work that was begun here. King David would finally and fully defeat the Philistines. But here we have Samson, in the end, finally accomplishing God's purpose for him. Here, Samson begins the deliverance of Israel from the Philistines exactly as God has said. I find that to be incredibly beautiful. That Samson, in spite of his sin, in spite of his weakness, in spite of um, all that God could have justly done to him, God was gracious to him. God fulfilled his purpose. God's ways are, are never thwarted. And Samson here begins the deliverance of Israel As God had promised. Well, what can we learn from this? What did did God want Israel to know? For this is, first of all, a book for ancient Israel, isn't it? This this book is a prophecy, we said. This is a message from God. This isn't just uh, a story about things that happened, but a story told in a certain way to make a specific point. What does God want Israel to know through the story of this man, Samson? Well, several things. I think most importantly, God wants Israel to know that, that their God. Um, is a God of sovereign grace and faithfulness. Uh, The whole story of Samson is a story of grace. God raising up a judge for Israel when they were not looking for one. When they had absolutely made peace with their bondage uh, and uh, submission to the Philistines. They were were willing to to just be that. and, And to let the whole project of Israel just disappear from the pages of human history. That's what Israel was willing to do. They were at home in their sin. But God, their God, is faithful. God was not willing to let them go. God would pursue them and God would raise up a deliverer for them. Even when they were not looking, even when they were not interested. And it's going to be an important lesson for Israel because they are going to find that Samson's story is a prophecy foretelling their own. Uh, they're going to stumble again and again as they go after foreign gods, and, and at the end of the line, uh, King Zedekiah, the last on the throne, is going to be taken into Babylonian captivity. His eyes are going to be gouged out, and he's going to be bound in chains and placed in a prison exactly like Samson. This is, this is their story, but it's not the whole story. It's not the end of the story. God is going to be faithful to his promises, even to disobedient and rebellious Israel. God is going to raise up a king like King David, someone who's going to rule on David's throne just in a vastly greater and more faithful way. God is going to deliver Israel once and for all from their rebellion and their sin, and he'll do it through Israel's king, Jesus. Aren't you glad that God in his faithfulness saves sinners in spite of themselves? and all for the glory of His grace. It's all, it's all for the glory of His grace. This is a prophecy that, that, that tells Israel and, and tells us about the nature of God's ways, His saving ways. You see, in the end, a Samson accomplished his mission not by a victorious life, but by a victorious death. And that's the way it is with God. When, uh, when you look at Samson's life, you'd say, what did he actually do? in his life, right? He wasn't wasn't a a great king going out and and winning great battles. He he really didn't. But he did exactly what God called him to do, and he accomplished his greatest victory in his death. The same for Jesus, of course. When Jesus came, right, people are wondering, when is he going to just get on with it, take the throne, raise an army, uh, make Israel the greatest nation in the world? When's he going to accomplish something with his life? But Jesus didn't fulfill his mission through a victorious life. He, he was despised and rejected of men. He had nowhere to lay his head. He fulfilled his mission through a victorious death. Commentators debate over whether or not the story of Samson should be seen as, as a prophecy pointing to Christ. I, I think the evidence is indisputable. The, the, there, there are so many similarities. If, let me just read a few of them from Robert Webb's commentary. He says, Christian readers can hardly fail to notice the number of points of correspondence between the broad structure of Samson's career and that of Christ. And he lists some. His annunciation by divine messenger. An angel comes to Samson's mother and an angel comes to Mary. His miraculous conception. Samson's mother is barren. Jesus' mother is a virgin. His endowment with the Spirit happens to Samson, Jesus' Is blessed with the Spirit in great measure. His rejection by his own people. Remember, the, the Israelites in, uh, handed over Samson to the Philistines, and so did the enemies of Jesus. The mocking and scorn he suffered at the Philistines' hands, and you see the same in Jesus' life. The way his calling was consummated in his death. Samson, in his death, defeated the god Dagon and laid the foundation for a deliverance to be realized fully in a day to come, when King David would ascend. Well, King Jesus' calling was consummated in his death as well. A death in, by which he defeated death itself. Listen to what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, 14. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil." and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Jesus died to destroy death. The great difference, of course, is that where Samson was suffering for his sins, Jesus was without sin. Jesus was suffering for ours. He was bearing our iniquity. He was crushed because of our sin, our guilt. And that's where the glory of Jesus shines all the more. What a Savior to come when we weren't looking, to come and take on our humanity because we were lost and we needed someone to rescue us. And to do that, he had to come and be made like us in every way except without sin. What a a Savior to come and willingly die bearing our sins, suffering the wrath of God so that you and I could be rescued from death itself and be made children of the Father. No one has ever loved you the way Jesus has loved you. No one will ever love you as Jesus loves you today. And the work that Jesus accomplished there, we're just starting to see begin, right? In some sense, Jesus began the deliverance. We're told that there's coming a day when the full glory of Christ's accomplishment is gonna be made manifest when the the heavens are parted and Christ descends and God takes his people into their new home, a new heaven and a new earth and we live there with Jesus forever as his people, spotless and sinless in the glory of his presence. I hope that's your hope in life. I've been reading the Psalms recently, and just one of the things that strikes me is how David and the other psalmists think about their, their mortality. David says, I'm a sojourner here. Psalm 25, I think, maybe Psalm 39. I'm a sojourner here like all of my fathers. Um, I'm just here today and I'm gone tomorrow. And that's, that's true of your life. It's true of my life. And yet, and yet what's also true is that our sojourning here, though it's very very brief, is leading to a home that's forever. And that's our hope. Not our future plans of whatever you have in mind for your life here and now. That, that's not your hope. It can, it can disappear in a moment. Our hope is this, that Jesus Christ has conquered death for us. And Jesus Christ has called us to an eternal home with him. How do we participate in that? And I'll close with this. Well, the same way that Samson did. We participate in it by faith. Samson's in the hall of faith. I, let me just read that for you. Hebrews eleven thirty two. Time would fail me, the writer says, to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms Enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, and put foreign armies to flight. How did these men accomplish all these great things? They were flawed men. Just read the stories. Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, one after the other. Deeply flawed men. How were they able to accomplish such great things? And the answer is, of course, by faith. By laying hold of the steadfast goodness and faithfulness of God. That's how. By laying hold of everything that God had promised to them. They would take the word of God in their hand. And they would go to the Lord and say, you've promised. And God was faithful. God was faithful. They believed. And they won the victory. And friends, so will you. So will we. How can we be saved? Well, we're saved by grace through faith. Through faith in our Lord Jesus Christ? How are we going to endure in the midst of great heartaches in life and and trials in life and losses in life? How are we going to face the enemy of death? Well, we, we do it by faith. By faith, we gain the victory. By faith, we overcome the world. We are more than conquerors, right, through Jesus as we hold to him. So friends, as you think of Samson, think of the faithfulness of God. As you think about your own life, think about the faithfulness of God. And remember, it is by faith we are being saved. And so let's believe. Remember what Jesus says um, to to the man whose, whose child is dying? Only believe. Only believe. May God give us the grace. Amen. Oh God in heaven, I thank you that you've called us to live by faith, not by sight. And by faith, Lord, we... Lay hold of all your goodness and all your power. By faith, we gain the victory, not by work, not by effort, not by our striving, but by our trusting, by our believing that you will be faithful to what you've promised you will do, that you will be with us, that you will provide for us, that you will give us the victory, and that one day we will stand in your presence without spot and with great joy Oh God, thank you so much for this, this man, Samson. Thank you that one day in the halls of heaven we can meet him. And we can speak to him about your faithfulness to him and share your faithfulness to us. And so Lord, this week, I just pray that your spirit would remind us of these things, that this week as we face the realities of our life, we would believe, we would rest, we would trust moment by moment. And in the quietness and trust, find strength, as you save us, as you rescue us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We're going to stand together and sing, the Lord is my salvation. The Lord is my salvation. people said. Amen. Amen. I'd like to read from Jude's letter. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now to him who was able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy to the only God our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forevermore. Receive the benediction of the Lord. Now may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you and abide with you all till Christ come again. Amen.